All right, so we're in a series of uh, this kind of a study series on Sunday nights called Characters in the Old Testament. And uh, many of these characters are just people that we're not very familiar with many times, people that uh, perhaps you've heard about, maybe not, uh, but we're, we're trying to understand their story and to see how it relates to our story. In 1994, I don't know if you remember what happened in 1994, but does the name Rwanda ring a bell? 1994, Rwanda was synonymous with genocide. Uh, You can read about it online, of course, but in case you forgot the details, let me kind of give you a summary of what happened that year over a period of about 100 days. Extremist elements in Rwanda's majority Hutu population planned a campaign of mass murder against the minority Tutsu or Tutsi population. And the BBC, one of the articles that I read, uh, the BBC News called it 100 Days of Slaughter. Over the course of a period of about 100 days from April to July in 1994, it's estimated, the conservative, the conservative number is that over that period of 100 days, 500,000 people were killed. Others say that the number could go as high as 800,000 who were murdered in a period, intentionally murdered, genocide uh, over a period of about 100 days. Now, I had to do a little math. I know it's simple math, but I had to do a little math to make sure I was comprehending this. Over a period of 100 days, if you take the number 500,000, that means, if I looked at this correctly, On average, 50,000 people were killed a day. If you use the higher number of 800,000 that were killed in those 100 days, of course, 80,000 people were murdered in a day simply because of what was described as ethnic cleansing. But out out of that story came, or out of that struggle came a story that's Hard to forget. A good story that's hard to forget. Uh, There was a lady named Deborah. Her son was murdered. One of the hundreds of thousands that were murdered. Her son was murdered uh, in this genocide. This ethnic cleansing, if you will. Months later, a man showed up at her door. Not knowing why he was there. What it was about. This young man came to Deborah. And he made an amazing confession. He said to this lady, I killed your son. I'm the one that shot him. I killed him. He says, I'm coming today to tell you this, and I want you to take me to the authorities and let them deal with me as they will. He said, I I can't sleep. Ever since I shot your son, when I lie down, I see you praying. And I know you're praying for me. And I know what I did to your family. So take me to the authorities. And we'll let them decide what to do with me. Deborah, a woman of God, an extraordinary woman of God, responded to him in an unexpected way. She said, I do indeed expect you to restore justice. But I want you to restore, just, restore justice by replacing the son that you killed. I'm asking you to become my son. I want you to visit me. And when you come into my home, 
I will treat you like my son. And that man, for the rest of his life, was an adopted member of her family. Expecting the worst, he experienced, he experienced unexpected blessings. That's what I want to talk to you tonight. Uh, talk to you about tonight. Unexpected blessings. Because that story reminds me of another story, a similar story, if you will, in the Old Testament about unexpected blessings. You know, sometimes when you see a name featured in the Bible, you can automatically picture that person in your mind. You can automatically kind of rehearse the story in your mind uh, because that name and that story is so familiar to you. But when you see the name Mephibosheth, you probably say, Mephibosheth who? His brief story is told to us in the book of 2 Samuel, especially chapter 9. Would you open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 9? The story of Mephibosheth is probably one of the greatest unexpected blessings in the Old Testament. It's the story of David and Mephibosheth. It's a beautiful, unforgettable story, and it shows why David is sometimes known as the man after God's own heart. In this story, David bears in a, striking, a striking resemblance to his, his heavenly father as he demonstrated grace uh, that this man did not deserve. Now, the entire chapter, Second, Second Samuel chapter 9, is only 13 verses long. And so I want to walk through this text with you in, as we look at this brief chapter. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. <clears throat> well, I'll tell you what. Before we read that, to make sure you have the context, let, let me pause for it. Let me push the pause button before we read that. Um, what we're going to be reading about, let me say it to you this way. What we're going to be reading about is really based on a promise that David had made previously to a man named Jonathan. Uh, probably about 20 years, get that time frame in your mind, probably about 20 years before this occurred, what we're about to read, about 20 years before, David made a promise to Mephibosheth's father, who was a man named Jonathan. In fact, put your finger there in 2 Samuel 9. Let's go over to 1 Samuel chapter 20. First Samuel chapter 20. The title on my Bible, I don't know about yours, but the title over chapter 20 is David and Jonathan. It really is a story of a great friendship between two people, David and Jonathan. The entire first chapter, or 20th chapter, is about that. Now, let me give you the context. This was before David became king of Israel. Jonathan and David were best friends. Jonathan was the son of the current king, whose name was who? Saul. Jonathan understood that David was God's choice to ultimately one day be king of Israel. But his own father was currently the king, and his own father was trying to kill David. 
He wanted him dead. Jonathan defended David and prevented Saul from killing David. Now, before we read what we're about to read in 1 Samuel 20, let me tell you the kind of the custom of the day. That in that day, when a new king took office, when a new king took over, it was customary in that day that all of the, member, the family members of the previous dynasty were exterminated. They were killed to prevent a possible revolt later on. It was a gruesome kind of thing, but it was an insurance policy to make sure there were no contenders for the throne. So if, for example, Jonathan's father lost the kingdom and another king took over, Jonathan knew that he and his whole family, automatically, that was a death sentence. That they would be killed because that's the way you treated the previous dynasty's family to make sure there was no revolt, there was no attempt at a takeover. Jonathan realized that one day, David would be king of Israel. And so he asked David for a promise. He asked David to make him a promise. 1 Samuel chapter 20. Look at verses 12 through 15. Then Jonathan said to David, By the Lord, the God of Israel, I will surely sound out my father by this time, or by this time the day after tomorrow. If he is favorably disposed toward you, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father is inclined to harm you, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely. If I do not let you know and send you away safely, may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. But now look at verse 14 and 15. But show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord as long as I live. You might want to underline that verse if you mark your Bible. But show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord as long as I live so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from who, church? From my family. So he's asking for a promise, not just for him, but for his whole family. He basically understands one day you're going to take over. And here's what I'm asking of you. Because of our friendship and because I have defended you, show me unfailing kindness. And we're not asking it just for me. I'm asking that you would also show it to the members of my family. Verse 15, and do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. Skip down now to verse 42. Jonathan said to David, go in peace for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants. And what's that last word? Forever. Then David left and Jonathan went back to town. Now, from 1 Samuel chapter 20, flipping over in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 9, it was a period of about 20 years that passed. And let me tell you what happened during that period of 20 years. During that time of of about 20 years, Saul and Jonathan were killed in a battle with the Philistines. You can read about it in 1 Samuel 31. We don't have time to look at it. Actually, to be accurate, Jonathan was killed in the battle, Saul was wounded in the battle, and then he fell on his sword, took his own life in the midst of the battle. But they both died in this battle with the Philistines. And so, because Saul is no longer on the throne, by 2 Samuel chapter 5, David is now anointed king over Israel. 
So, with all of that context in mind, I want you to go to 2 Samuel chapter 7. And I want you to read the first verse. David, because he is now king of Israel, is, he's experienced a time of peace in his kingdom. Everything is calm in his kingdom. And so this is what we read. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1. After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a palace of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. And so he goes on and he decides what he needs to do with the ark of God. Uh, but I just want you to under, understand what's happening in verse 1. David, it says, he settled in his palace. Things are calm. There's no, no, no battles in his kingdom. And the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies around him. Apparently during this time, David is reflecting about all that God had done for him. Because when we come to chapter 9, jump there real quickly. Chapter 9 David is reflecting, apparently, beginning to think about all the things that God had done for him. And he begins to think about his friend Jonathan. His friend Jonathan, who was lost in battle. And somewhere along the way, David remembers he made a promise to his friend. So we pick up the story now. That's a lot of context, I know. But we pick up the story now in chapter 9, verse 1. David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? He wants to honor the promise he's made to his friend. His friend is long gone now, but he wants to honor the promise he's made. And so he asks, is there anybody? Is there anybody that, that, uh, that I could honor, show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, verse 2, there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They called him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba, uh, your servant? He replied. The king asked, Is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show? Now notice this. To whom I can show. He doesn't just say kindness. What does he say, church? God's kindness. He's talking about more than just being nice. He's talking about a demonstration of love that is undeserved. A demonstration of love that is unearned. And a demonstration of love that, is, that, that you cannot repay back. He, he's, he's basically saying, I want to demonstrate grace. And I want to demonstrate grace to somebody in Jonathan's family. Is there anybody left from his family to whom I can demonstrate grace? Now, we continue the story. Ziba, verse 3, Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. I'm reading between the lines, I know, but it just seems like Ziba is saying, There is a son of Jonathan that's still living, but you, you don't need him in your palace. There, there is somebody that's still living that was the son of Jonathan. But this guy is just going to be more trouble than you can imagine. And, and he's not going to look very good in your court. And uh, he, he's crippled. He's crippled in both feet. Now, let me show you the backstory to this. Put your finger there and go over back a few chapters to 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. I'm going to show you something that you don't often see in the Bible. 2 Samuel. In fact, I, need, I haven't checked this out, so I need you to tell me 
uh, if your Bible is like mine. Second Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. <clears throat> Look in verse 4 and tell me if in your Bible, whatever translation you're using, in your Bible, is there a parenthesis? Anybody not have a parenthesis? All right? This is something quite unusual. You don't see this very often in the, in the Word of God. There's a parenthesis around this verse. This parenthesis is not a typo. This parenthesis is saying, no, he's telling a story and then he pauses and he includes some information that's really not pertinent to the rest of the story. And guess what? This parenthesis is about a man named Mephibosheth. And let's, let's see what it tells us about him. Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. We already know that information. But, but now he tells us how this came about. He was five years old. When the news about Saul and Jonathan, that is, that they were killed in battle, he was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became crippled. His name was Mephibosheth. This strikes a little bit closer to home for me, as I can imagine, because my granddaughter, Lily, is five years old. I saw her yesterday. We were in Charleston yesterday. And I saw Lily, who's five years old. And Mephibosheth was not born crippled. He was a typical five-year-old boy. Until word came that his father and his grandfather were killed in battle. And everybody knew what that meant. The rest of his family would be killed. Because you eliminate the king's family so they're not enemies to you. that They're not a threat to your throne. So everybody knew what that meant. So the nurse, when she finds out that Saul and Jonathan have been killed in battle, she picks up Mephibosheth. And she runs for her life, and she runs for his life, and she somehow drops him. And we don't know what happened to his feet. Of course, this was long before uh, any kind of advanced medical uh, treatment or anything, but something happened to his feet. He became crippled in both feet, we're told. So, going back now to chapter 9, verse 3, this is the guy that Ziba is referring to in chapter 9, verse 3. Uh, There's a lot of background, but now the story gets very beautiful and very interesting. Verse 3, let's read it again. Chapter 9, 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 3. The king asks, is there still no one, uh, is, is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled. In both feet. And David's response is beautiful. David without hesitation says. Where is he? The king asks. Ziba answered. He, he is at the house of Machir. The son of Amuel in Lodabar. Lodabar is an interesting word. Lo in the Hebrew means no. And Dabar means pasture. Or pasture land. In other words Jonathan I'm sorry, Mephibosheth was living in a place that was desolate. There was no pasture there. It was a, an obscure barren field somewhere in Palestine. He was living in Lodabar. 
Imagine what must have gone through his mind, living in Lodabar, living away from everybody in some barren pasture field out in the middle of nowhere, when all of a sudden, the king's soldiers are at his door. He opens the door, and it says in verse 5, So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, the son of Amuel. Imagine what must have gone through his mind when he opens the door and David's soldiers are standing there and they say, the king wants to see you. Remember, it was the custom of the day to eliminate the, the family of the, uh, the one who had been king. So this frightened man is brought into the presence of David and he falls to the, to the floor, probably expecting the sword to come across his neck. We read about it in verse 6. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied. And then what's in verse 7? What was the very first thing David said to him? Don't be afraid. More than likely, I don't know about you, I would have been trembling. More than likely, it was very apparent on his face. Maybe in the way he was presenting himself, his body, maybe he was trembling. More than likely, it was very evident. He was scared. He was terrified. He thought he knew what was about to happen. And so David's first words to him, after saying Mephibosheth, his first words to him were, don't be afraid. And then the next words were unbelievable. Don't be afraid, verse 7. Don't be afraid, David said to him. For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. And you will always eat at my table. There are three key phrases here. And every one of them are so interesting. First of all, he says, I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Number two, I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. I know you've been living in Lodabar, but I'm going to give you back everything your grandfather, Saul, owned. I can't imagine how much property that would have been. And I'm going to give it all back to you. You don't need to live in Lodabar. I'm going to give you back the land of your, father, your grandfather, Saul. And then he says, number three, the most unexpected thing of all, you will always eat at my table. Now, any one of those promises would have been overwhelming, but all of them together are really quite unbelievable. Especially when you remember that Mephibosheth deserved none of them. When he looked at David, he must have seen a smile on his face. Mephibosheth, it says in verse 8, bowed down and said, What is your servant? that you should notice a dead dog like me. You might want to really note that phrase there, that you should notice a dead dog like me. Have you ever had that dead dog feeling? What I mean by that is, life had been hard for Mephibosheth. Life had been very hard for him, and his self-worth was very low. And he says, why are you offering this to a dead dog? Like me. I don't deserve any of this. 
Nothing about me that would cause you to offer me this. Why are you doing this for a dead dog like me? Now, four times, four times, David emphasizes to Mephibosheth, you are going to eat at my table. If he told him once, that would have been fascinating. If he told him twice, that would have been uh, attention grabbing. If he told him three times, that would have been like, wow. But he told him four times, you're going to eat at my table. Let's just look at it, read it real quickly. Uh, In verse 7, chapter 9, verse 7. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will, what's that next word, church? You will what? You always eat. You're not just going to eat at my table. You're not just coming home for supper tonight. You will always eat at my table. Look at verse 10. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him. He's speaking to Ziba right now in verse 10. And David says to Ziba, you and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and to bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Verse 11, then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mark that in your Bibles if you do, if you like to underline. Like one of the king's sons. Verse 13, and Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. And he was crippled in both feet. He always ate at the king's table. And he was crippled in both feet. Why is there such an emphasis here that Mephibosheth was eating at the king's table? Because David did for him what he did not deserve. And it was a picture of unexpected blessings. Or it was a picture of God's Grace. Do you remember what David said earlier? He says in verse uh, 3, the king said, Is there no one still left from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? You need to remember that phrase. I want to demonstrate. I want to show God's kindness. And so Mephibosheth was told four times, You will always, you will always eat at the king's table. Now, pause for a moment and just kind of walk through this story with me. Picture what life must have been like in the years to come at the supper table of David. What must it have been like when it was time for dinner and all the people around the table, David's family was there. Amnon was there at the table. Amnon was always clever and witty. Absalom was there. He was the guy that was tall and handsome. Tamar was there. She was a beautiful, tender young daughter of David. Probably sat near him. Later, of course, there was Solomon. Who just had that something about him, that it factor. He was wise and charismatic. And he was at the table. And then all of a sudden you hear this clump, clump. Clump, clump. 
And here comes Mephibosheth hobbling his way to the table. And he takes his place with the king's sons. And the tablecloth of grace covers his crippled feet. And he sits at the king's table. Do you see why I said this is one of the greatest illustrations of grace in the Old Testament? Ladies and gentlemen, we, we have all been crippled by a fall. We have all been permanently marred by sin. Like Mephibosheth, we were at one time living on our own in a barren place, struggling with the pain of our past. And then a king, driven by a promise, reached out to us. And he calls us to himself and he invites us to have a permanent place at his table. And the book of Revelation says that there will be this great feast. And we're invited to sit at the table with the king. And we will always be at the table with the king. We will always have a place at the table. With the king. And like Mephibosheth, we are sons of a king. And we experienced unexpected blessings. And we have nothing to offer him. So I'm going to summarize this story and then I'm going to let you go. Some, two, two statements just to kind of summarize everything. First of all, and, and if you agree with this, you, you, can just, you can just say amen or that's right. or uh, You don't have to say anything, but let me just give you the summary statement. Number one, God's kindness or God's grace is one-sided, isn't it? God's kindness is one-sided. Just like in that story, David's grace that he extended to Mephibosheth. It was one-sided. He was crippled in both feet. He, had, he rightfully should be slaughtered or killed because he was part of the previous dynasty. He, he rightfully should be treated as an enemy of the king. But instead, he was treated like a son. It was one-sided grace. And God has, always does that for us. We don't deserve it. We could never earn it. We can never repay it. But God's grace is an unexpected blessing. And it's always one-sided. Number two. I don't think we should ever get over what God has done for us. Some people get saved and they get over it. I don't think you should. Now, let me ask you a question before we, we go home. Do you think Mephibosheth ever got over what David did for him? Oh, I'm sure there were some days when he hobbled his way to the table and he didn't think a whole lot about it. He was just wondering what's for supper tonight. There's some days it was just an ordinary day, it's an ordinary night, and, and he was just glad to have something to eat. I'm sure there was a lot of those days. But there had to be some days, some nights, when he came to the table. And he found himself just looking around. 
thinking, I'm sitting at the king's table. And this tablecloth has covered my crippled feet. And he has promised me that I will always sit at his table. Sure, there were some nights when he thought, I just don't deserve this. There are days that are ordinary days in your life. And then there are days when you're reminded God's been good to you. There are days when it becomes real to you. God has been gracious to you. There are days when suddenly you realize I was crippled in both feet. But God loved me anyway. God loved me anyway. And I hope you know Christ as your Savior because I want to tell you something. There's going to be dinner at the king's table and I want to see you sitting there. Amen? Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness to us that you have extended, extended to us what we did not deserve and could not ever qualify for. We've all been broken by the fall. We've all been crippled by sin. And yet you give us a place at the king's table. Thank you for what we don't deserve, but what you so graciously give. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. God bless you. Hope to see you Wednesday night. Thank you for being here.